so thank you for what you're doing. We're in Galatians chapter number three. If you have a Bible, Galatians chapter number three. If you're with us for the first time or the first time in a long time, we're just working our way through Galatians. And the guy that's in charge is just taking a really long time to get through Galatians. So I apologize. I've tried to have a talk with him, but he won't listen. Uh, so so we are, we're in Galatians chapter three. And if you were with us last week, uh, you notice that there's, there's been a change, a shift in what Paul's writing and doing. Uh, Paul has been kind of laying down a foundation for why he can address the Galatians as he does. And in chapter 3, he actually begins to turn to address the need or, or, or what the issue that's at hand, which is you're not believing the truth I gave you, you're turning to a lie. The truth that Paul had delivered is that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus, the one who God sent that he had promised long ago, he was the one that came to deliver us, but, well, we missed it, and we crucified him. But Jesus, he was the Messiah. The problem is, Jews crucified him, thinking they would end that ministry of the Messiah, but they had no idea what they were doing was starting the ministry of the Messiah because he actually had come to give his life. And Paul's trying to say that if you believe that that Jesus that was crucified was the deliverer sent by God to save the world from their sins and to bring victory over the evil one, then through your faith in that Jesus, you'll be united to his death to his life and you'll receive his righteousness to his death and his crucifixion becomes your crucifixion and to his resurrection his new life becomes your new life your faith in Jesus unites you to Jesus and so many appeared had believed that but that had begun to turn to believe something else some false teaching that some Jewish religious leaders called Judaizers had come in to say faith in Jesus is important, but it's not enough. You must observe the Jewish way of life. And that's what Paul's writing. And last week we got through the first five verses of Galatians 3, where Paul says over and over and over in different words, if you started through the power of the Spirit, why are you trying to finish in the power of your own flesh if you received a right standing with God by faith why do you keep trying to keep your right standing with God by what you do and Paul desired to both expose the hypocrisy but highlight the irony that you started completely dependent on Jesus and now somehow Jesus is dependent on you Do you see the problem, Galatians? And at the beginning of verse 6, which is where we're going to start today, and for the rest of chapter 3, Paul begins to explain why works are not the basis of salvation. And I hope you understand what I mean by this. Works are not the basis for sanctification, which means you don't come to Jesus on your own. You come to Jesus through faith, and you grow in Jesus, not on your own. You grow in Jesus the same way you came to Jesus, you grow through faith. We're about to read in Galatians 3, but I just want to make one comment that I think might be helpful for, for people who aren't, don't have a, don't have a, a full, complete understanding of, of everything that we're reading today. When Paul writes this letter, there's no New Testament available. 
So Paul can't, when he's writing, he can't refer to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. He can't refer to the Gospels and say, remember the miracles that you've read that Jesus has done to prove he's the Son of God. He can't refer to James who wrote, uh, faith without works is dead. He can't, can't refer to John who said, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul doesn't have any of that to build on. Paul only has the Old Testament. So think with me. If you and I only had the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was the Messiah, what would you do? So Paul, we're going to see, he's going to use the Old Testament to build his case on who Jesus is. It's not new. Jesus himself did it. In fact, I read one theologian this week who said 10% of Jesus's own words that are recorded in the Gospels are Old Testament quotations. So Jesus is going to continue to use the Old Testament to build the foundation. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am here to deliver you from the evil and evil one. Paul's going to do the same thing Jesus does. And some versions, translations help us see it clearly because they're going to be in quotation marks. Others, you kind of have to know what you're reading. But, but I, I'm going to be reading today from the, from the NIV, and I'm going to start in chapter 3, verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse number 9, but our message today is going to impact primarily starting up, starting with verse number 6. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would le- like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Now, here's where we're going to pick up verse 6. So also... Abraham, now notice the quotation marks, believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. Watch these quotation marks. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Paul begins this defense against the Galatians that you don't grow by works that you that you believe and that's how you come to Jesus and by believing is how you continue to grow. And he starts with Abraham, which you're like, why why start with Abraham? Well, we'll think with me for just a moment. Abraham is the father of all the Jews. Including the Judaizers that are trying to influence the Galatians. And so Paul is going to go all the way back to Adam and Eve, and he's going to talk about their, or he's going to go all the way back to Abraham, and he's going to talk about their father. Now, I realize there's people with different understandings of the scripture in here, so give me just a moment to, to explain this. The Jews are the people of God, but if you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, you don't find the Jews. You find Adam and Eve who sinned against God, 
and were removed from a garden. But before they were removed from the garden, God got Adam, Eve, and Satan together, and he talked to them, and he spoke to them, and he gave them one hope. He said, one day the seed of woman would crush the head of the serpent. That was supposed to give them hope. That was a promise, but there was no way to know when that child would come, what that child would look like. Eve actually thought she might be giving birth to that Messiah with the very first child she had, the very next child she had. But it's not until Genesis 12, and we skip a lot of important information, but in Genesis 12, God calls this man named Abraham and says, follow me. And when he does, he, he follows God and, 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 he, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. The problem was Abraham was not even the father of a child. He couldn't be the father of a great nation. And I know some of you know this, but just, just allow me to simply to, 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 to lay this foundation. So in Genesis chapter 3, or sorry, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, we find this very interesting statement when we're talking about Abraham. This is Galatians 3, 8. It says this, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and, he, and listen to this, announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. That causes a problem if that gospel that was spoken to Abraham is the gospel most of us like would describe the gospel to be. Like wouldn't you wouldn't you and I and I'm not, wouldn't the gospel kind of be like, well, I'm a sinner. Jesus died for my sin. I could trust in him and have my sins forgiven and go to heaven one day. Isn't that the gospel so many of us think of? Well, Jesus wasn't born yet, and crucifixion hadn't been invented, so that's no way that it is the same gospel that, that Jesus, or that, that was spoken to Abraham, meaning, meaning the way I just described it. So, what was the gospel that was announced to Abraham? Well, let me show you in Genesis chapter number 12 what was spoken so the Lord comes to Abraham and verse one says, the Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. Oh, wait, that might be the gospel because gospel means good news, right? Great nation. I will bless you. That's good news. I'll make your name great. You will be a blessing. That's good news. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. That's good news. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. Which is what Paul highlights in Galatians 3 as the gospel that was preached to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Which helps us understand as believers, the gospel is no less than Jesus died for my sins, but the gospel is more than just that one statement. See, the gospel as a whole is that God promised not to leave the world alone in their sin. And we find this in Genesis 3. That one day, this is the good news, one day he would send a deliverer, he would send a Messiah, he would send one to crush the head of the serpent and deliver the world from the evil one. 
Okay, what does that have to do with Genesis 12? What does that have to do with the gospel that was preached to Abraham? Well, in that moment, what God was saying to Abraham is the child I promised in Genesis 3 that would come to crush the head of the serpent is going to come through you. And through you, the Messiah will be born to bless all of the world. Oh, and that's, that's so exciting. But a problem is if you look back at Galatians chapter 3, which we just read in verse number 6, Paul quotes this other passage from the Old Testament. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That was taken directly from Genesis chapter 15, which occurs about 10 years after the gospel was proclaimed to Abraham. Hey, all the world will be blessed through you. 10 years later, he still didn't have a child. He goes and talks to God and he's like, is it my servant that really this is supposed to happen through? And God walks him out in Genesis 15, walks him outside says he took him outside and said look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them then he said to him so shall your offspring be and then notice this is what paul quotes in galatians 3 abram believed the lord and he credited to him as righteousness abraham believed god god saw his faith and counted that faith as righteousness to his account but wait a second Paul is trying to build a case against the Galatian teacher, against the Galatians and those who are trying to, to teach them something different. And he goes all the way back to Abraham. And this is basically what he says. If the father of the Jews was made righteous by their faith, wouldn't you think all of the Jews would need to be made righteous by their faith? Well, if the father of these who are coming in and trying to say, oh, you can only be right with God if you do all these things, if you, if you get circumcised and if you follow the dietary laws and if you observe the calendar, if you, if you make sure you observe the Sabbath, if, if these people say the only way to be right with God is by doing all these things, but their father Abraham was made right with God through faith alone, how can they tell you you must do something more than their father did? And that's what, that's what Abraham was trying, or that's what Paul was trying to bring this logic. If Abraham was counted righteous through his belief, how can these descendants of Abraham say you can only be counted righteous through laws, customs, and traditions? Their own father, their own hero had to be made right with God through faith. And that, Galatians, is what you need as well. It's what Paul's really highlighting for the Galatians, but and for us today, is the way one becomes a Christian is the way one matures as a Christian. We progress in our Christianity the same way we began our Christianity, by faith in God. So how did Abraham become a follower in God? He believed. Now he doesn't just believe, notice this, he doesn't believe in God. That's like some general sense. The demons, James tells us, the demons believe in God. No, Abraham actually 
believed God, the word of God. And when he believed, his faith was counted righteous. There's this, there's this theological term called imputed. His righteousness that was not his own was credited to his account. A couple of months ago, some of you may know this, some of you may not, my, my truck was parked out here and someone stopped by and decided that they wanted the headlight off my truck. And, uh, and they just decided to pull the headlight right out of my truck and then I kind of put it on social media like, hey, if you want the other headlight too, I'll give it to you if you just let me tell you about the true light. Um, I put that up and a young man that was in the youth group uh, years ago with me, he sent me money to get my headlight fixed. He did it digitally though. I didn't know, I didn't ask. Suddenly, I got this little email that said, you've been get $500 appeared in your Venmo account. And it was a few minutes later where he sent me a text to say, hey, I just sent you some money to get your, uh, to get your headlight fixed. Ha. I didn't ask for it. I didn't do it. It was just immediately credited to me. But as soon as it was credited to me, it was mine. The bank recognized it as mine. And that's what God does with righteousness when we believe. We believe and he gives us the righteousness of Christ. It doesn't mean we become righteous. No, no, we're still sinners. We're still unholy and selfish and yeah, but, but that's not how God looks at us anymore, even though that's really who we are. Oh, he looks at us as if we are Jesus. I am holy, I am unselfish, and, and I am righteous in the eyes of God when I have my faith in him. I think a lot of people struggle with this because it just sounds too good to be true, right? But it is too good to be true, except our God is too good to be true. But it is true. He's so good. Most people then, they think, well, if God's going to look at me as righteous, I better become righteous. And how can I be, how can I, how can I be more like Jesus then? And immediately, here, here's, what, here's the problem. This is what Paul was confronting. Immediately when we realize God looks us as righteous, we all of a sudden want to become righteous. And how do we do that? Well, we don't do anything wrong. We do everything we're supposed to do. We don't do anything we're not supposed to do. We live a holy, perfect life. At least we try. And then we fail miserably. And when we fail miserably, what we do is one of two things. We quit trying, because I know I'm going to fail again. Or if somehow we think we have succeeded a bit, we start to get a bit arrogant. Huh. Huh. I, well, he counted me righteous, and I actually, look at me, I actually, I, I'm living it out. Huh. Uh, how come you guys can't do this? So which one is more like Jesus, the one who gives up or the one who lives proud and arrogant of the righteousness that he actually exhibits? Right. Now see, there is this desire that should well up in us for us to become more like Jesus when we realize the grace of God that he actually looks at us like Jesus. But we don't become more like Jesus by acting like Jesus. Because otherwise, what we're doing is saying, well, salvation is up to me by faith, but growing after my salvation is, is only up to me by my works. See, the gospel doesn't say I believed in God to become a Christian, and now being a Christian is up to me 
No, the gospel says, I believed in God to become a Christian and I continue to believe in God as I live and mature as a Christian. Oops, sorry, that's the wrong one. So so think, how many of you would love to live a life like Jesus this week? Would you raise a hand? Come on, I mean, does that ought, that ought to be an easy question, all right? I would love to live a life like Jesus. Well, here's what we often do. We go to the Bible, we see what Jesus did, and we say, well, he did that, so I'm going to do that. Oh, no, 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 we missed it, we missed it. If we want to live like Jesus, here's what we have to do. We believe in the Father like Jesus lived on this earth, believing in his Father, that he was involved in everything that he did, that he never went anywhere without his Father's love and comfort and protection, and that every situation that Jesus found himself in was divinely ordained by his Father for him to step into and bring the Spirit of God at work in that, in that way. Because if we really believed in the Father like Jesus lived believing in the Father, we would accomplish the works that the Father has for us to do. I'm going to skip skip a bunch. Can can you find Acts chapter number 7 for me on there, uh, Trent? Acts chapter number 7. Because I want to show you what I mean by this. The beautiful example in the life of, of Stephen. So if you know who Stephen is, he was, a, he was one of the first, first deacons. He was one of those first servants of the church. Stephen, in Acts 7, preaches an amazing sermon about who Jesus is. And at the end, the Jews are so mad because they're the ones who crucified the one he just talked about. They stone him. They begin to stone him. Before they stone him, when they... When, when they they, they hold this mock trial and, and they, he's accused and he's sentenced to death. We read this verse, Acts 7. But he, this is about Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open." And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen, I heard one, one guy say Stephen didn't, didn't look, didn't see Jesus because he looked for Jesus. He saw Jesus because he looked up. Stephen looked up and he saw the heavens opened and Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. And many theologians believe that Jesus was standing rather than being seated, how we often read of Jesus as authority sitting next to the Father. He's standing because he's standing in judgment. He is standing as the judge of what is taking place here on earth. And Stephen sees him as the judge. And he says, I, I see the, I see God. And I believe, after seeing the glory of God, I believe in the justice of God. Justice. He was being unjustly murdered. And so how did he react to this unjust murder after seeing the glory of God? In verse 59, we read this. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Lord, forgive them. This man, Stephen, is exhibiting the same actions in his life as Jesus. He's living like Jesus Not because he heard what Jesus did and tried to duplicate what Jesus did, but he's living like Jesus because he saw what Jesus always knew. My father is in charge. He is going to one day bring truth and justice to this world. And because he is standing as judge, I don't need to stand as judge. Even though I am being treated unjustly, he will care for that. Father, Lord, forgive these men. They have no clue what they're doing. But I'll leave the justice in your hands. You see, there's some of us that that we have this thought. uh, uh, We do something wrong and we say, well, God forgave me, but I can't forgive myself. You, You understand what you're doing in that moment? You're playing your own savior. Well, God forgave me, but I'm not ready to forgive myself yet. As if you need your own forgiveness for things to be right. No, no, no. See, see, there was this day where you believed that Jesus offered all the forgiveness that you ever needed. But what we do is after that day, we take it back and say, well, forgiveness is up to me. Have you ever thought this? Well, you know what? I'm pretty much right with God, but there's one person that, you know, they hurt me so bad, I'll never forgive them. So you're the judge and just, you're the judge now? Well, if they, for, if they ask for forgiveness, I would forgive them. Oh, so now they're, they're the ones that have to make things right, not, not the Father who already made things right for us through Jesus? You see, living out the Christian life is not about doing all these things. It's about believing in the one who is doing a work in us. And he wants to finish that work. I mean, this this is crazy, but I saw this this meme on social media uh, earlier uh, last week, I think. But it said, think, think through this. The apostle Paul entered heaven to the cheers of those he martyred. That's how the gospel works. People who were killed at the hand of Paul cheered when he entered the same heaven that they were at, not saying, you got to pay for what you did to me, but realizing Jesus paid it all for all of us. And if I can just come back and remember this, I can live with forgiveness in my heart because of how I've been forgiven. I told you a few times, and I'm done when I share this. This is, I'm not saying this, please understand. I'm not saying this for sympathy or pity. Please understand that. Can I get this? Is not, I'm not saying this for sympathy or pity. But I've told you that there have been a few, a few times, I've told you that the last couple years as a pastor has been difficult. I, I would describe it as a, as a series of, of valleys and plateaus. A valley and then a plateau. No, very few mountaintops. It's been a difficult time, and for many of you, you could say the same thing about your jobs and your lives. So this is not about Brian. I just happen to be a mouthpiece, and I want to share with you how the Lord works. 
couple of, uh, well, a, a little while ago, I met with Pastor Archie Webster. And if you know Pastor Webster, he's an African-American pastor who, who pastors up here near the hospital. I mean, he's about 70, 72 years old, and he's just, he's a joy. He's a, he's a treasure to me. It, I would call him my pastor. I don't have a pastor. I would call Pastor Archie my pastor, which means I will tell him things I won't tell anybody else. So we were sitting down, and he asked me how I was doing because we've had conversations throughout this time. And, and I said, oh, I'm doing fine. Or actually, I probably use what I, what I always say. I was ne never better, Pastor. And he, he looked at me, and he's like, so no, tell me, how are you really doing? And, and here's what I said. Please don't feel sorry for me. I'm just telling you. I wouldn't tell you this. I'm telling a man of God this. I said, well, Pastor, man. It's been a, such a struggle in my heart because I feel like no matter how hard I, I try, people just keep walking away. And he looked at me and he kind of smirked. And, and if you know Pastor Archie, you could hear him say this. He goes, brother, brother, people walked away from Jesus. He never did them any wrong. Why would you be surprised people might walk away from you? I literally sat there and big tears came into my eyes because I came to this realization like, I don't know why I would think that. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace, praise the Lord, but I am a sinner. I have hurt people. I have disappointed people. I have failed people. And sometimes that causes people to walk away and, and it hurts me. And I look at them like, how could you? And, and it's like, Jesus never did anybody wrong and they could Consistently walked away from him, but then, then he was—he wasn't finished. He goes, he goes, brother, don't don't you ever forget, people may walk away from you. Jesus never will. I think I walked out on a cloud that day, and it was something that I've come back to regularly. And it's like I believed it one time that Jesus was enough. Brian, it's time to believe it again. He's enough. Hey, hey, if we have Jesus, we truly have all we need, right? Just believe it. But then tomorrow, wake up and believe it again. You don't need to forgive someone else for things to be right. Jesus has forgiven you. Please allow it, allow that forgiveness of his to flow through you. Don't let someone else, I think it was Tim Keller that said, whoever you look to for satisfaction, whoever or whatever you look to for satisfaction, like when I finally have this, I'll have it all. He said, they actually functionally play as your savior. Oh, so we better make sure that we look to Jesus for all the satisfaction we need because he is the only savior that will satisfy belief abraham believed these judaizers are saying you got to believe but you got to do these works too no you believe 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 and the works will flow out of the belief don't work believe and allow the work to flow from the belief if you have jesus you have enough believe it that's it. Got enough? 
Go home and realize I may not have their approval. I may not have this. I may not have that. You have the only approval that matters and you always will have it. So wake up tomorrow and believe it and live in such a way that says I have the Father's satisfaction. He's going to send me where he wants to send me. He's going to send me with his power. He's going to send me with his grace. I can live out anything he asks me to live out. I believe you are with me. I believe you are everything that I need and I will live as if I truly believe it we'll change the world we'll change the world we'll change your world father oh lord we thank you for who you are Mm. a document that's thousands and thousands of years old and yet it still lives today thank you for your word and for your spirit and for lord for what you do And help us as a church to remember that Jesus, only Jesus, is really all we ever need. May we, as a church, believe it. Church, with your your heads bowed and eyes closed, Lord, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know him as the the one who was sent by God to be the the true Messiah of the world, to, to deliver you from your sin and to deliver you from the grips of Satan, I'll be standing at the back doors as the, as the church ends today. And I would love the opportunity to share with you who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for you, and why you can live believing in who he is and live a life of great joy and satisfaction, regardless of the circumstances around you. May we as a church step into today and wake up tomorrow believing Believing that Jesus is who he said he is, and that he will do all he said he will do in our lives. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first. In your name we